Well, in a few short weeks, uh, we'll be celebrating Easter. That's hard to believe, isn't it? But we're moving closely that way. And so uh, we've been in a sermon series over the last several weeks uh, about the passion of Jesus uh, moving through these uh, significant hours leading up to his crucifixion and then his resurrection. Uh, Last week, we looked at Peter, and we saw how Peter's pride got in the way, and pride failed him because he boasted to Jesus, you know, Lord, I'll never desert you. I'll never forsake you. I'm willing to go to prison with you. I'm willing to die with you. And Jesus told him, before the rooster crows tonight, you'll have denied me three times, and that happened. And we saw that Peter failed. And when we base our life upon our pride and our power, we will fail. But we also learned that failure is not permanent. Failure is not forever. Peter learned that because he was restored back into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate that. And we learn in the fact that we will fail. We will disappoint the Lord. We will deny him at times. But when we come back in repentance, true repentance, uh, feeling sorry for our sin, regretting what we've done, turning from that in repentance, then God will restore us. Today we're going to take another step with Jesus. We're going to move into the Garden of Gethsemane. And with him we're going to experience his agony there in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to move there with his disciples and we will witness that in the place where Jesus went in the Garden of Gethsemane so many times to find peace and solitude and relationship with God as he spent time there in prayer that this night was a night of agony as he went to the Garden of Gethsemane because it was hours before he would be betrayed and arrested and then the mockery of the trial would take place and then his crucifixion would follow after that. And so in this message, we were going to trace the steps with Jesus with his disciples, where they would go from the upper room in the garden to the Garden of Gethsemane. To get that, they would cross down from the Temple Mount. They would cross over the Kidron Valley, which literally means dark and gloomy, across a narrow creek, and then they would enter into the Mount of Olives. I think it's interesting as we look at this in terms of the agony that Jesus experiences in Gethsemane, That probably somewhere around a thousand years before this event, King David made that same journey. And he was a shepherd. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a shepherd too, as well as our Savior. But David made that journey crossing over the Kidron Valley because he had been betrayed by his son Absalom. And on this night, as Jesus makes that journey across the Kidron Creek and Valley to the Mount of Olives... It's the night on which he too will be betrayed. Now the interesting thing about the the creek that flowed there through the Kidron Valley was it's very small, you could step over it. It was filled with the sewage that moved from the upper part of Jerusalem down through that valley. And the other thing about it is that the historian, church historian many years ago, Josephus, told us that uh, it would be on on a full moon that night that Jesus and his disciples would cross over because Passover was always on a full moon. And quite literally, they would be able to see that creek filled, flowing with the blood from all the sacrificial lambs that had been slaughtered up on the Temple Mount. And maybe as Jesus made that journey, a part of the agony was the fact that he would know that perhaps in a few short hours, maybe his blood too, as the sacrificial lamb, would flow down that same stream. And so we find them entering into the Mount of Olives, And and the place of Gethsemane where Jesus had spent so much time in sweet communion with God to find that this would be the time of agony that he would spend in the Garden of Gethsemane. Stress-filled moments like nobody else could ever experience. So we're going to look in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. 
If you'll look there with me, we're going to read verses 39 through 46 and enter into this experience in the agony in Gethsemane with Jesus. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came. Skip, I got ahead of myself. Luke 22, bottom of the page, 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he said that because of what Peter had already had, had experienced. Pray that you will not fall into temptation, he said. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. I've had the occasion to go to the Holy Land, visit there in Israel, and to go to the uh, Mount of Olives and to the Garden of Gethsemane. And what we're told as you travel there, some of you might have been there as well, that it's believed that that olive grove that has trees there that were the same trees that were there when Jesus was there, some of them 2,000, maybe even 3,000 years old. There's a church that's built there, a third one built on that site called the Church of All Nations. And in that church, there's a great slab of rock that's called the Rock of Agony, and it's there in the altar area. And it's placed there because it's believed that that's the rock upon which Jesus knelt and prayed that night in the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane as he wrestled with whether he was going to be obedient to God's will or whether he was going to succumb to the temptation to take his powers into his own hand and to do his will and to avoid the cup that, was he, had, that he had to drink. And so it's there that we find this perfect setting where Jesus is bowing in prayer but yet in agony because of what is going to take place in the next few hours. That which was a place of great solace and comfort to him, now was his moment and hour of agony. I've knelt there where Jesus knelt at that rock, and I have thanked God for the gift of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he brings through what sacrifice that Jesus went through. The gospel writers Mark and Matthew tell us that Jesus took with him Peter, James, and Andrew and told them to watch and pray. And he went a little farther into the garden. And there he threw himself down on the ground and he prayed. This was the agonizing prayer. It wasn't the sweet communion and fellowship with God that he had normally had. Because in this prayer, Jesus spoke about a cup that he saw before him. And the scripture tells us that he asked the Father to take it away if God was willing to do so. In fact, Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus prayed that same prayer three times. Father, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. We know it was a time of agony because in verse 44 the scripture says Jesus was in anguish. And that's literally the Greek word from which we get the word in our language, agony. And the reason for that was there was something that Jesus saw in that cup. As he faced his death on the cross, he referred to it as the cup. You remember when, when, when the, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came and asked for her sons to have place of 
prominence in the kingdom, and he asked them, are you willing to drink from the cup that I'm going to drink? He wasn't talking about the goblet that they would have at the Passover meal. He was talking about this cup that was going to be given to him to drink. His ultimate destiny is he would drink from this cup that would cause his death. And so as Jesus looked at that cup, he saw things in there that brought about the agony into the depths of his soul. What did he see? Well, symbolically, I think we look in that cup with him and we can see at least three things that would bring such agony to his soul in the Garden of Gethsemane. The first thing I think he saw is that Jesus saw in that cup the emotional pain of being alone. He saw the emotional pain of being alone. Jesus looked into that cup and he saw that he was going to be forsaken by his friends. And that was agonizing for Jesus because Jesus was a a people person. He loved to be around people. He loved to spend time with people. You think about some other biblical characters. His cousin, John the Baptist, in fact, who had a great part in being the forerunner, uh, preparing the way for Jesus to come. Uh, He was a recluse. He loved to live out in the desert and live by himself. But Jesus was a people person. He loved to be with people. In fact, when uh, the scribes and the Pharisees wanted to, to bring some kind of charge against him and condemn him, they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Then you remember the time that the, the crowd of parents were pressing upon Jesus and the disciples felt like, well, this is the time we need to get him away. There are too many people. And all the parents wanted to do was to bring their children to Jesus so they could bless them. And Jesus told the disciples, no, let the children come to me. And he took time out of his busy schedule. Uh, to spend time with these families, these children. And we have a beautiful picture of Jesus taking them on his lap and blessing these children. He loved to be with people. He was a people person. Most importantly, he loved that relationship he had with God. He loved the relationship that he had to spend with God. But he knew that the closer he got to the cross, and he was getting closer every moment, the more rejection he would experience, the more he would be alone His disciples would leave him. He would be deserted on his own. Even that relationship with God would be broken when he became sin. And not only did the people of that day forsake him, but it was fulfilled in prophecy that Isaiah gave over 750 years prior to that moment. For Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus knew that that would be fulfilled and he would be rejected. That he would be deserted and that he would be alone. Have you ever experienced being rejected and forsaken? It's a terrible experience. But imagine the creator being rejected by his creation. The one who created all, Jesus, is being forsaken by his friends and by his creations. That's not good for us as human beings to experience that as well. God knew that about us. So he created us to have a relationship with him. He looked down and he said, it's not good for man to live alone. You look at the animal kingdom that God created. Fish swim in schools, sheep graze in flocks, and, and geese fly in gaggles. You know, cows and herds, horses in herds, and people hang out in crowds, or at least in gathering with friends and family and fellowship. And the bottom line is, is that we all need relationships. We need to be with people. And life is hard when that's taken away from you and you live alone. 
So you, like the, you, you might be feeling the sense of loneliness and rejection if you're the last one that's always chosen to be on a team because you know nobody else really wanted you. Or when you have to face life alone. Or when you try to fit in and you feel like you get rejected. Or when you lose a spouse or parents and you have to move on with that void in your life. There's that sense of loneliness. We're created for relationships. We need people with us in the great crisis moments of our life. We need the reassuring touch of a human presence. And Jesus saw loneliness in that cup. And he knew that it would bring grief to his soul because he did not want to be alone. He wanted to be with people. He would be arrested, tried, tortured, and crucified all alone. Even hanging on the cross, he would cry out to God and say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so in the agony of his soul, facing that cup of loneliness, no wonder Jesus cried out and he said, Father, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. I want to say to you today, if you're alone and you feel isolated, I want you to know that Jesus knows what you're experiencing. Some of you struggle to fit in in society, maybe even here or at school or wherever. Over the last several years, we've had, we've had deaths in the life of our church where spouses after many years have had to adjust to being alone now and living without that spouse. Some of you feel like you don't have any friends at school or you don't have any friends at work. You don't have any relationships. You feel like you're isolated. Jesus knows your pain. You ever feel alone in life, like you're going it alone, Jesus knows what it's like. The agony and Gethsemane tells us that. But remember this. God created you for a relationship. Particularly, he wanted you to have a relationship with him. And his promise to us is that we live in faith with him. He will never forsake us. He will never desert us. And he has fulfilled that promise by giving us the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us in John 14 that Jesus gives to us the the Holy Spirit who will be our comforter. And he says he will live with you and be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. God has provided for you so that you will not have to go through life alone. But for your sake and mine, for the forgiveness of our sins, Jesus looked into that cup and he saw that he would be isolated, that he would be alone. He would be forsaken. He would be betrayed. He would be deserted. And he experienced that for our sake, for yours and for mine before he went to the cross. The second thing I think Jesus saw in that cup that gave him such agony was Jesus saw in that cup the physical pain of the crucifixion. Anybody who lived in ancient Palestine during that time had witnessed a crucifixion, most most awful means of execution that any government could come up with, and the Romans did it. And, And anybody who lived in that day would know simply by observing the physical pain that somebody endured as they were crucified. Jesus knew that as well. He knew what the pain was that he was facing. He knew what he would have to endure on that cross. The reality is he was fully God, but he was fully man. He would feel that pain, and he knew that he would feel that pain. Just like he felt the pain of rejection, he knew that he would feel the physical pain 
of crucifixion dying on that cross. Isaiah's prophecy once again comes to light. For Isaiah says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus knew that he would be pierced and he would be crushed and that he would be wounded on that cross. He knew the pain that it would cause him. He wasn't afraid to die. He was going to die willingly. But the reality is, being human, he knew the pain that he would have to experience. He knew that a crown of thorns would be thrust savagely upon his forehead. He knew that his back would be exposed naked to to a cat of nine tails with a whip lashing 39 times, tearing the meat from the bone of his body. He had already experienced the pain of having his beard plucked from his face. He would know the pain of the club striking him when they'd blindfold him and play games with him. He knew that as he would go to the cross that he would have huge spikes driven through his wrist and through his ankles. And that he would hang upon that cross. And there he would be exposed to the elements. He knew that a spear would would pierce his side and mangle his intestines. He knew that his lungs would fill with fluid to the point that he would struggle to where he could not breathe any longer. All of that Jesus saw in that cup of agony. Luke is the only gospel writer who tells us that Jesus was under such intense agonizing pressure that he literally sweated drops of blood. It's a confirmed medical term, hematidrosis. And it's been seen in patients who have experienced extreme stress or shock to their systems. And what happens is that the capillaries around the sweat pores become fragile And leak blood into the sweat. One of the most notorious people to experience that was Charles IX of France, who was a horrible king and who killed thousands of Protestants on what's been called St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. History tells us that on his deathbed, Charles IX was so disturbed by his conscience and what he had done and in such agony over the blood that he had spilled that. Blood literally oozed from his body as well, and he died in a pool of blood. Totally different with Jesus. Jesus wasn't causing anybody's death. He wasn't taking anybody's life. He was laying down his life. He was going to experience the physical torment and the agony of the cross. And the reason then that he sweat that blood is because he was under such agony And the capillaries leaked into the sweat pores and he sweated drops of blood. He told Peter he didn't have to do that. He could have called 12 legions of angels. But the reality is to be our Savior and to be faithful to God's will, he did. He chose to drink the cup of physical suffering that was before him. He went to the cross after being brutally beaten and humiliated. 
And he suffered the agonizing death of crucifixion to fulfill the Father's will where his blood would be spilled so that our sins could be forgiven. Then I think there's a third thing Jesus saw as he looked in that cup that caused him agony. And I think that's that Jesus saw the spiritual pain of bearing the sin of the world. He knew that as he went to the cross, he was going as the perfect sacrifice, the only sacrifice sacrifice that would satisfy the demands of a just and righteous and holy God. And as he looked in that cup, he would see the sins of every human being who would live from that moment on. He knew that he would become sin on our behalf. He knew that he would take the punishment of sin that everybody else deserved, but that God wanted to place upon him so that God could have that relationship with you and with me in spite of our sin. You see, when he looked in that cup, he saw the sins of billions and billions of people, unworthy of God's love, but yet God loved them in spite of that. And you and I are counted in that number of people. In fact, 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. When John the Baptist was ministering and he looked and he saw Jesus coming, he pointed towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment that every one of us deserved because of our sin. And he took the sin of everyone upon himself so that we could be made righteous in the sight of God, so that we could have a relationship with God. I still think one of the most incredible verses in all the Bible is found in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It's the essence of God's love for us and what Jesus did on the cross and how we have the privilege to have a relationship with God. The Apostle Paul says this, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Isaiah had talked about the fact that all of our iniquity would be laid on him. On the cross, all of our sin would be laid on Jesus, and it was. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, that he who had no sin became sin, so that through him the righteousness of God would be on us. It's a simple reminder to us that Without the blood of Jesus Christ being shed, without Jesus going to the cross and dying for us in our place, there's no way we could have a relationship with a holy, righteous God. But when Jesus died in our place, becoming sin, taking our sin, making that sacrifice, then God is able to look at us through the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he can have a relationship with us and we are forgiven because of that. And it's possible only because Jesus Christ accepted that cup and he was willing to go to the cross and suffer everything that the cross meant and to do it for you and for me. You see, in the agony of Gethsemane, Jesus looked into that cup. He saw my sins. He saw your sins. He was repulsed by that sight. He was sinless. 
He had seen what sin could do. It would turn angels into demons. It would turn humans into animals. He had seen sin wreck paradise and families. He had seen the destruction of sin. He knew what it would mean. All of that went to the heart and soul of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Garden of Gethsemane became his place of agony. Gethsemane is actually really, that garden is actually really kind of a parable of what Jesus endured. The olive tree is being called the tree of life because it provides oil for light and for medicine and for food and soap. To harvest the olives, cloths are, are laid on the ground and limp, limbs are shaken by, by um, sticks and rods that are run up through the trees and the olives fall and they're gathered up in the cloths and then they are put through an olive press and they're squeezed three times. In fact, Gethsemane means the olive press. And they're, they're squeezed three times and the first squeezing produces that light uh, extra virgin olive oil. And then the next two squeezings produce a darker colored one. The third one, we're told, even resembles the color of blood. So isn't it interesting that Gethsemane, the place where Jesus went for solitude and to have a relationship with God, Gethsemane, which means the olive oil press, was the same place where Jesus' soul would be in agony because he knew what would happen to his body. And three times the olives go through that process of being squeezed. Three times Jesus prayed, Father, if it's your will, if you can do this, if you can allow it to happen, let this cup pass from me. Jesus experienced agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, but yet he said, not what I will, but your will. I think in his humanity, Jesus was saying, I want to avoid the loneliness. I want to avoid the pain. I want to avoid the disgrace. But, Father, I cherish your will more than mine. And then once again, Luke is the only gospel writer who who inserts into this story the fact that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Luke doesn't elaborate upon it. And we don't know what the angel did what the angel said. But somehow the ministry of that angel enabled Jesus to come through this agony of Gethsemane and somehow ministered to him in such a way that Jesus was able to say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And the agony of Jesus in Gethsemane is evidenced by his total dependence upon his father, saying, my father, And his honest struggle. My father if it is possible. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless not my will. But thine be done. Jesus did that for us. Through the agony of Gethsemane. Now what are some spiritual takeaways. Besides seeing that this is Jesus Christ. The son of God. Perfect in every way. Fully God. Fully man going through this agony before he goes to the cross for that sacrificial act where you and I can have our sins forgiven. What are some spiritual takeaways for us as we still live? Number one, I think we have to realize that Gethsemane experiences are inevitable for followers of Jesus Christ. 
See, Jesus went through the agony of Gethsemane. If you live long enough and you follow Jesus long enough, you too will have some Gethsemane moments. You will have some agonizing moments in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3.10 and says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 verse 8 says that Christ learned obedience from the things which he suffered. See, when you go through the agony of a Gethsemane experience, and you will at some point in your life, you will go through it. Some of us have been through it. You will go through one. What you have to realize is, is this is where God brings out his hammer and chisel and he works on us to mold us and shape us into what he wants us to be, into the image of the Lamb. So realize that Gethsemane experiences are inevitable for followers of Jesus Christ. The second takeaway is this. Intimacy with God does not eliminate the potential for painful experiences. See, I don't care how close you can get to God in your spiritual life. I don't care how much you pray, how much Bible study you do, how close you walk with God. You can't get as close to God as Jesus was. And Jesus went through one of these agonizing Gethsemane experiences. Being a believer does not exempt you from the Gethsemane experiences. And intimacy with God does not eliminate the potential of painful experiences. It's a part of God's plan to fulfill Romans 8 and, and Romans 8 and thir, uh, 38 and 39, where it's the promise that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And verse 39 reminds us that that purpose is, is to transform us into the image of His Son. And so the intimacy with God oftentimes leads us into these agonizing Gethsemane moments so that God can work his perfect plan into molding us into the image of his son, more and more like Jesus. And then I think the third spiritual takeaway is that Gethsemane experiences are meant to teach us total dependence upon God's plan and purpose. Jesus agonized in the garden. We can't escape that fact. Depending upon which gospel account you read, he prayed at least once or maybe even three times. Maybe more than that. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But he could not have any peace in that moment until he was able to surrender his will to God's and say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And the same is true for us. You will never come out of the agonizing moments of Gethsemane until you surrender your will to the will of God. That's what Jesus experienced. And it allowed him to go to the cross and to give up his life through that agony, knowing that he was obedient to the Father's will and to do it with a great sense of peace. So here we come today with the footsteps of Jesus. We've gone from Peter's denial to where we've walked down with Jesus across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives and there into the Garden of Gethsemane. And we have spent that time with Jesus in his agony. But we learn that as Jesus spent that time in agony, he was surrendering his life to God so that you and I could have that relationship with God. And he did it in perfect peace. You need to be grateful for what Jesus has done for you.
And you need to learn the lesson that you will go through some agonizing Gethsemane moments. And God has designed them for you to be more like Jesus. And I pray that you will. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to allow your son to suffer and die. To go through even agony before he went to the cross because of our sins. And that he would look in those cups and he would see what was there, how awful, how terrible it was. What he would endure. And yet he was willing to do that in obedience to your will so that we could have that relationship with you. That we would not be isolated from you. That we would be righteous in your sight through Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you today for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. We also thank you, Father, for the lessons that we learn when we go through those Gethsemane times of crisis in our life. Help us to be faithful, trustful, and obedient as we yield our life to you. And now, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who's not in a relationship with you, that he or she be willing to come and lay down their pride, lay down their sins, and give themselves to you in full trust and confidence of forgiveness and the salvation experience because of what Jesus did for us. And this is the name I pray.